Welcome to Adult Discipleship. We are not talking about fishing this morning. We are talking about the fruit of the Spirit and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Um, somebody, somebody be brave and remind me, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Goodness, self-control. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, yeah, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, like, I'm, I have to say them in order, otherwise I forget them. Uh, I don't know if you're like that. Uh, last week we talked about why cultivating this uh, spiritual fruit is important, and we also talked about how that happens. So, <coughs> can somebody summarize why is it important that we cultivate spiritual fruit in our lives? To be more like Jesus, yes, that's actually the that right answer. Um, but it's also not just to be more like Christ, but to image Him more truly. Okay, so that's a big deal. We want to be able to image God well. We want to be able to represent. We are His ambassadors. We're His vice regents. Him, God, uh, for who He is and what He has done in a in the right ways. Right. We can't do that if you're not cultivating spiritual fruit. Um, but also, um, can you cultivate spiritual fruit by yourselves? No. No. What? What? Does anybody remember the big words I used last week? When I was describing this. Monergism. Monergistic and synergistic. Monergistic meaning uh, one force or one energy, one thing, uh, one work. Yes. And um, then synergism, meaning that there's cooperation in that work. Okay, so just like justification is a work of God alone. Okay, and, and that's a monergistic work. Um, sanctification is also predominantly a monergistic work, but we also have a part in it, and so we would call it synergistic in its whole. Okay, so it's together. We cooperate with the Spirit. We do things like read our Bibles and pray and uh, be with community. And we learn together. We grow together. That growth is a together thing, right? Because we can't just sit in our lazy boy by ourselves with nobody around and not reading our Bibles and not praying and not being with the Spirit, not being filled by Him. Um, and expect to grow. It's impossible. Um, but the only way you grow is this way. Um, not up here. Um, if, if that's all you do. So where we talked about uh, those couple aspects, but then we talked about love. And as it's the chief, um, the chief fruit of the Spirit at which we should be cultivating all the time, right? Uh, that's and all the other ones are kind of a part of love. If you're, if you uh, don't have love, then you won't be gentle, right? If you don't have love, then you won't be faithful. It's just it's, you can't be faithful and love not loving. It's not possible, right? So uh, you can't be patient, or you can't be loving and not be patient. Uh, you can't. Now we can grow in these things. I'm not saying like. You have little bits of patience and then grow into more patience. I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm saying, like, you can't be patient without love. 
right, for the person or the thing that you're being patient about. Okay, pretty easy. So we've been going, we went through this pattern of, with love, and we're going to do that with every single fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to ask this question, what it is not? So love is not this, but this is what love is. So that's the second part, love is. And then uh, we ask, so how do we cultivate love? Or in, or in this case, today we're going to start with joy. So we're going to start with, and if you have your uh, sheets, they, we're going to start on point number six on joy. If you don't have a sheet, I don't have them printed out anymore because I gave them all away. But the, uh, if you want to go to southsidebrandon.org slash adults, it'll be right there at the top of the page for adult discipleship. And you can just click on handout number 11, and we'll go from there. Okay. Any questions up to this point? So let me ask you, uh, before we answer what joy is, tell me what it is not. What do you think of when you think of a person who does not have joy in their life? Anger, bitter, bitter. that's a good word, bitter, depressed, depressed. okay, mm-hmm. can you be joyful and depressed? Yeah. Okay, so, did you ask specific questions? I did, I did, I was just curious, like, where your brain was on that one, so I wanted to hear True joy, if you have true joy in Christ, you can be depressed in your circumstance and still be joyful in what he has done for you. Welcome to most preachers over every age. Um, Spurgeon and uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones both struggled with depression um, mightily, but they were both the most joyful men that you would meet. So it is possible to be depressed and joyful. Um, I'm not going to get that into that too closely, but it is possible. What else? What do you else see here when you think of somebody who's not full of joy? Unforgiving, absolutely. They're holding grudges, right? That's not a joyful person. Um, what else? Apathetic. That's a great word. What does apathetic mean? Lazy? Not caring. Like if you think of the the words that apathy, and you were to break it down into uh, pathos. Pathos being feeling or emotion. Um, ah meaning not, it's the negation, so not emoting. They do not care. Uh, you know, that, that ability to... Apathy is rampant, by the way. Uh, I, would, I would say that that's mostly what our churches are filled with, is apathy. Um, so, just my, my two cents there, really quickly. Um, so, let me ask you this. What does the world say joy is? Constant happiness. Disney on ice. Um, let's see what else. Um, a roller coaster. I have joy when I'm on a. What else? What else? Ice cream. Ice cream. But what? What? Like, what does the world say joy is? Being Overflowing with positive emotion. Okay. What are you thinking? I'm thinking more like it's focused on self and self fulfillment. 
Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. It, It's always fleeting, right? It's momentary. Uh, So, does anybody else have anything else before I go? What what does the world say joy is? Happiness. It's fleeting. It's it's these these things that are self oriented, right? You're all good. No. Okay. Uh, one way that the world would say that joy is is an absence of trouble. Okay, that I mean, I, I think we can kind of understand that absence of trouble. I can have joy. I'm joyful because I'm uh, too blessed to be stressed. Um, no, no offense to my friends who wrote, my friend who wrote that book. Um, just saying, too blessed to be stressed. Yeah, the idea of um, I'm without trouble and therefore. I have joy. I'm without pain. The absence of pain would mean joy, right? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, with the absence of suffering would mean that they are joy. So Christian joy is not these things, right? It is not simply the absence of trouble, joy, or trouble, pain, and suffering. The way our culture would define happiness is a real distortion of what true joy is. And so we want to talk about the debate between happiness and joy, uh, we can, but that's that's not the point here. Um, the world does not, what the world does believe about happiness, however, sometimes displays itself in momentary glimpses and whispers of what true joy actually is. So, when the world says, uh, I have joy, or joy, they're, when they're descri- describing something as joyful, they're um, talking about a momentary glimpse of something truly good. A momentary glimpse of something that's truly good. Joy is not so much happiness as contentment, right? Joy is the ability to take good cheer from the gospel. It is not, therefore, a spontaneous response to something, some temporary pleasure, but, and in fact, it does not depend on circumstance at all. Joy if, if joy was those things, if joy depended on your circumstances or your situation or your uh, suffering, pain, trouble, guess what? Most of us would never be joyful. No, no, most of us would not have any joy in our lives. Um, children would not cause us joy. They would cause us more pain because they're difficult. Right? They're constantly causing us to grow as we help them to grow. But they are such... Like when I say that, what a bundle of joy, I mean it. This one is. Because look at her. She's, she's beautiful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> beautiful and, and smiling and happy. And if that doesn't bring a smile and an understanding of what joy is to our hearts, then um, there's not much that can touch you. <laughs> and, but joy is not a joy that comes from earthly things or, ch- or cheap triumphs. Still less is it is joy that comes from triumphing over someone else in a rivalry or a competition. So when the, when the Gators and the Seminoles play, and doesn't matter what side you're on, uh, what, whatever side you're on, you win, that is a fleeting moment, momentary happiness. It is not joy. Unless your name is Jed and... It lasts at least a year. It lasts a year. It's like when the Braves won the World Series, all I heard was, and the Braves are still world champions for a year. I'm still still living off of that. Yeah, I know. I know. 
I'm not a brave fan. Uh, anyway, so joy is not so, what, what the world calls joy is very subjective. Um, and, and that's kind of where we have to get away from. We have to understand that it's subjective, it's not objective joy. Or, or their, their joy is not a joy that can be stable because of what they're putting their joy as dependent on. Like their, their joy is dependent on their circumstances. It's not dependent on something outside of their circumstances. Does that make sense? So what is joy? Joy, as Matthew Henry describes it, is a constant delight in God. Constant delight in God. And I, I think that's a really good way of thinking about joy. And, and remember how subjective the world's joy is. It's dependent on the circumstances. Um, but what, if it's dependent on God, who God is, God is the unchanging one. Right? God is, God's love is uh, ever-present. It's always there. It never wanes. It never waxes. His character is not one that ever changes. You never see God dealing with his people in different ways. Right? In fact, he's so clear about that. He's so clear about if you are um, loved by God, then you can always have the confidence that he is near you. And he is with you. Especially now in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you are now filled with the Spirit. And that spirit does not come and go as he pleases. He's always there. Now, whether you know it or not, it is a different thing. Whether you feel it or not is a different thing. See, Paul reminds us in Galatians, which where we're going to be, where we have been this so far, um, of the joy found in the fruit of the spirit, so that the Galatians might understand the choices before them when they face trials. So their choice is not, uh, you know. Their choices when they face trials is not something that like is dependent on whether they have joy or not. They are joyful in God, and so therefore they can act correctly in the midst of their trials. Does that make sense? So, um, we can face sorrow with or without hope. Godly sorrow is mixed with joy, though. So that's a different... That's a difference, right? When we face trials, we're typically sorrowful, and that sorrow can produce um, hopefulness within us, but our joy is not in those circumstances, right? It's in God, who is our hope, right? Not that circumstance. This is a difficult truth, partly because of our sin, and we live in such a broken world. Since we have not been, uh, since we have not yet been fully glorified, our joy will be mixed with sorrow here. But Christians, like Spurgeon, like you and me, like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, we can uh, face our sorrows with joy because of the gospel. Right? It's not just merely that Jesus says you will suffer as I have suffered. It's the fact that God himself does not change. God himself is, has life in himself, and we are recipients of that life. Therefore, you have no choice when you start meditating on those things, to have joy, but to have joy. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this, um, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, but those who are asleep, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have any hope. Right? Our hope as Christians is in Christ, and that is our source of joy. Paul describes the Christian joy, Christian hope as the riches of God, riches of the glory of Christ in us. 
And he calls this hope of glory um, our certain hope that we have in Christ. Let's not, I, I hope you're just hearing it over and over and over. Christ is your joy. When we sing, uh, well, we don't have to sing Joy of Our Salvation yet, but when we uh, sing that song, at some point within our time, that the joy of our salvation is not the fact that we are saved, but it is because of the Savior. Okay? The saved part is a consequence of our Savior doing the saving. And so he is the joy of our salvation, not our salvation itself. We don't take pride in anything that we have done or anything that we have, but we take joy in Christ. Right? We have pride in who he is. Does that make sense? He is the joy of our salvation. So, what joy is? Joy is, and I'm just going to use Matthew Henry's uh, quote here, uh, constant delight in God. Constant delight in God. So how do we cultivate joy? How do we cultivate joy? If, if our constant delight in God is joy, or is, is joy, then how do we cultivate it? Emulating Christ. Emulating Christ. Good way of putting it. What else? Meditating on his character. Meditating on Christ. I, I'm, yeah. I'm looking right now at 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, as it talks about blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and he emphasizes over the next couple of verses his great mercy that gives us hope mm-hmm. through the resurrection to an inheritance that cannot be corrupted then it emphasizes his power in guarding us for that inheritance and, and then says in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials and that that is the testing of your faith so if you have genuine faith when you enter that trial you're going to be grabbing hold of those realities of yeah. God and, and focusing on yeah, you've, you've heard me sing here uh, on this microphone, this verse, James 1, right? Consider it joy, my brothers. Consider it joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, right? And his, his point is not uh, the joy comes in the circumstance of the trial. The joy is outside of the trial, right? The joy is, joy is, set on who Christ is and what he's there. And so you can take joy, consider it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's what God is trying to do. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? And he's, he's, really, um, he's really pulling out Psalm 23 here. Right? He's pulling on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? The, the joy of what he's talking about, James is talking about, is not dependent on the circumstance, but on the God who is a shepherd, Christ himself. So the way we've already kind of talked about it, we've set your hope on Christ alone. That's how you cultivate joy. If your hope is on anything else, you will find yourself waxing and waning with the moon, changing all the time. But if you set it on Christ alone, your satisfaction, your joy will be in Christ. Another way to cultivate joy is to uh, 
desire to be built up in the knowledge of God in Christ. Okay, so desire to know God more. The more you know God of God, the easier you will find it to have joy in the midst of your trials. Right? It's not that you're trying to fill your head with head knowledge, but you're actually trying to learn and understand who God is at the heart level, so that you might be able to depend on him at all times. There's going to be a lot of this talk of meditating on Christ, setting your hope on Christ alone, because that's what cultivates joy. That's what actually cultivates the next one, peace, also. So, what is peace? Well, what not? What, what peace is not? Let's talk about that first. And so, what is the first thing you hear when I say peace? Lack of conflict. What did you say? I said the letter P. P? <laughs> Bliss. Bliss, yes. How about just the world would say joy, right? Happiness. Peace is, you know, can be joyful. It is joyful, it's happiness. See, the cessation of war and strife. How about that one? Um, but again, it's all the, that's all, again, like, subjective, is it not? A subjective peace. Biblical peace is not defined in terms of, of the stopping or the ceasing of our troubles, though. Just like joy is. None of these are. These are all dependent on God. So when conflict arises, we can't just wish it away. We can't say, in Jesus' name, be gone. We can't say any of these things, but we have to understand where our peace lies. Right? It's not in these magical things that we can say or do, or the circumstances which we are in. So I feel most at worldly peace when I'm on top of a mountain. That's just true. Um, but that mountain, it, it's not its not like that's a worldly peace. That's a subjective thing, right? I'm on top of a mountain. It's situational. Everything is dependent on that moment. Because as soon as one of my kids talk, peace is gone. Uh, <laughs> joking. But, uh, but, the, but the idea is you see how, it, how it's so fleeting. Again, fleeting. See, we, we, when we talk about peace, we're talking about the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. Does anybody know what shalom means? And it's like entire. Like, give me a definition for shalom. Just say peace. And it's more than just peace. It's like it's like a. I don't know the technical word, but it's like a double peace. It's peace in in all ways, and it's asking for that peace in all ways. Yeah. Okay. I know there's a real word for all that. Yeah. It's, it's so shalom is actually an active thing, right? Being granted. It says shalom is first off a blessing, right? A blessing from God. So when Jew, Jews would say shalom to one another, peace, with, like, peace be with you, is basically what they're saying. And when Christians say shalom together, it's like the peace of Christ be with you, and also with you. All right, um, we have that at the very end of our services. We're saying a shalom to one another as we go out in the world. But shalom is not um, situational, nor just a passive cessation of something finishing. So the, the stopping of war, the stopping of a trial, the stopping of the trouble is not shalom. Shalom is a more of an active working out of God's presence in our lives. And so when we keep that kind of peace in mind, it sounds a little bit different. Uh, one commentator calls joy and peace spiritual twins, and you can kind of see how this 
figure this, this works. If someone to open up to Romans 14, Romans 14, 17 and 18, and read it for me, that would be great. When in, in this passage, you see that the kingdom of God is composed of both joy and peace, right? Joy and peace. Romans 14, 17, 18, when you're there, just let me know, read. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So and that let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it's composed, the kingdom of God is composed of joy and peace, right? And righteousness. Um, we are justified by faith. Um, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. And it is those who have been reconciled to God through Christ who have the greatest reason to rejoice in God. So that peace that God brings to us the, through Christ Jesus and by his spirit um, is, is all, you know, revealing itself through our joy and love for one another. Okay, so it's a, they're, they're twins. But in one sense, is that not what you, and this is not to correct you, but to give a little angle on it, uh, in most cases it's true, it's not the cessation of war, except in that case. In that case, because the cessation is hostility between you and God. Exactly. And so, but again, this happened outside of you, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was not dependent on you. We were talking about the cultivation of the spirit, uh, fruit of the spirit as being synergistic. It has to start with justification, though, which is monergistic. It has to be a one work, one work from God in the life of the believer to regenerate the heart so that we might be able to experience true peace, right? And that true peace is dependent on that one work, right, by God in Christ. So we see what peace is clearly, by the way, that Paul describes that peace is achieved through justification by faith alone, right? The root of our joy. The only way that we can uh, cultivate this peace again is by being firmly rooted on where peace comes from, which is God in Christ Jesus. Okay, So if you're firmly fixed in the fact that you are um, a believer in Christ, he has justified you by faith alone, that he is everything, the way that I wrote it in a paper yesterday was, Christ is supreme. A disciple says... The true mark of a disciple is that Christ is supreme uh, in everything. Okay? And so, go ahead. Which, um, ironically enough, will often lead you into conflict with the world, which is just the natural course of things. Yes, and so feeling, being at conflict with the world, because we have, what we have is a different understanding of reality, right? It will bring, when you have two realities that come into contact with another, with one another, you're going to have some sort of conflict. You know, um, and those conflicts, even in the midst of that conflict, you can still have peace because we know who Christ is and what he has done. So, we get glimpses of peace here and now and like the good things that God has given. And, and truly, we only understand peace by through our justification in Christ, with Christ alone, and through Christ, and by his word. So, peace and joy, spiritual twins, peace is um, 
not just merely the cessation of all things, but it's the shalom, the active pursuit of the soul by God to give us his righteousness by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone by, and the spirit living within us. That is where your peace lies. Your peace cannot be from anywhere else because everything else changes. Right? Why do I, I emphasize systematic theology topics all the time? It's because without these topics, without understanding that God is ase, he's life within himself, what I'm saying, is that he has life within himself. Nothing else gives him life. Nothing else acts upon him. Right? He's immutable. He's unchangeable because he has life within himself. And because he's unchangeable, he does not react, but he is the active mover. Okay, so now we think about this. If God is unchanging, he's actively moving in the world, and he has life within himself, there's nothing that can act upon him to make him do anything. Then where does your peace lie? In Christ alone, who is God. Right? And that God is who saved you. And so that's where your peace is. It's not in your circumstance. It can't be a rock that is unshakable. We, we sing Rock of Ages here, and the reason why is because it's supposed to remind you of who Christ is. Rock of Ages. You're not just the rock since his crucifixion. He's Rock of Ages. He does not fade. He does not change. Uh, peace. We've gone through love, joy, peace. Now we're going to hit patience. Um, what patience is not, I'm not even going to ask because this could be a long conversation. An appearance of long suffering is not necessarily patience. Okay, so dealing with something for a long time does not mean that you have patience with it. It's not, or, nor, nor does it mean that it's growing you in patience. So be careful uh, about how we, how we hear about this. Some, by ordinary human calculation, will endure a temporary hardship to gain a long range advantage. That is a worldly understanding of patience, not a true understanding of patience. The people that think we, uh, the people that we think are the most patient people in the world may actually be the least long-suffering of us all. They might just be apathetic. They might just not, they might just have to shove it off to the side so it doesn't affect them. Right? But that's not patience. That's not patience. Patience is expressed in action. But in prime, and it is primarily a condition of the heart, just like all these other ones. The source of true long suffering, true patience, is God's long suffering, and the motive of patience uh, is the gospel itself. Uh, second, uh, the, the the Apostle Paul writing to um, Timothy uh, wrote it this way in Second Timothy four two. He says, "Preach the word." Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, or, or prove, rebuke, and exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. Notice those are all active things, right? He's to be ready. That's a passive thing. In and out of season. To reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Right? Those three aspects of preaching the word. These are all active things. And so with complete patience does not mean that whenever you feel like it. It means that you're supposed to do it consistently and constantly. So I think if we were to think about a, a, a beautiful word, another beautiful Hebrew word, hesed, um, or if you're English and like us and you just don't understand what hesed really means, uh, think, think of steadfast. 
think of steadfastness. I, I'm being tongue-in-cheek when I say when you're English. We're all English, guys. Like, we all speak English. Um, but we're, 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 think of patience as steadfastness. Okay, long sufferings, another way. Those both are kind of um, built into this. And it often takes place in the face of persecution or attack. So we are tried in our patience. The trials that we have try our patience. That's a good way of thinking it. But that patience is revealing, right? It's a, it's a revealing mark of our understanding of who God is and who we understand God to be. If we understand that God is long-suffering with us, right, then we will understand that we ourselves, ourselves are supposed to be long-suffering. If, if we understand that God, who reveals himself to Moses as steadfast, that's one of his main characteristics um, when he first reveals himself to Moses, he reveals himself as steadfast love. Hesed, steadfast loving kindness. Um, then we too, after being image bearers and being transformed into the image of Christ, should also look like steadfast, you know, steadfast loving kindness and growing in that. Apart from Christ, that is impossible. Apart from Christ, we are God's enemies, in fact. And so we're enmity with God, and therefore we cannot be steadfast. We're going to do things the way we want to do them whenever we want to do them, right? And that, if we, if we know our kids, our, our children are the exact same way, we can see a lot of our own understanding of sin within the way that they just act naturally, right? And if, if you haven't been encountered, if you have never encountered that for your children yet, then um, one day you will, one day you're either not, you don't have kids, or aren't home. Um, but God's wrath is being stored up for those who will not repent believe. But yet he is patient enough, and he is patient perfectly, by the way, in such a way that he gives you the entirety of your time on earth to repent and believe. He is long-suffering. He is never arbitrarily wrathful. A God who is never changing, life within himself, not acted upon by any outside force, how can he change and have arbitrary wrath? The answer is not. He cannot. It is not arbitrary. It's not just because he wants it. There is a reason. Um, and the main reason is that we, as unbelievers, have attacked and impugned him. Right? Our offense is not primarily against one another, but against God. We see that in Psalm 51. when David says, I, I have sinned against you and you alone. Oh God. So, the question is, is, what is patience? Patience is godly steadfastness and loving kindness. Okay? Under trial, in the good times and the bad times, whatever you're going through, your, your uh, patience should be grown by your understanding of God's patience with you. Does that make sense? There was at one point you were not uh, not a Christian and you were not in Christ and you were his enemy and yet while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that's what Romans says Paul tells us in Romans so how do we cultivate patience if you ask for patience you will be given patience but not in a way that you think that you want it most of the time but patience in large part is uh, how we persevere in our faith to the very end right 
as we exercise patient endurance in the face of wrongs and without anger um, or taking vengeance, we persevere in the gospel. So what? how do we cultivate patience? We remind ourselves of the gospel of grace. Yet while we were set, yet still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Everybody, every, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not fallen short, but uh, I think we've, we misquote it because it sounds better. But it's not that we did something wrong, it's that we are, we are fallen. We're in Adam, or we are in Christ. And so everybody must be removed from Adam or into the the realm of Christ, into the kingdom of God by his work. And those people who have been put in the kingdom of God are no longer um, set to be slaves of sin, but slaves to righteousness. Right? That's that's where life is, because God is giving you life from life in himself. And that's the only way that we can be brought into true communion with God. All right, so cultivating patience looks like um, directly relying on the Spirit. It looks like strengthening our joy, persevering in love, look, looking for God for our peace, and that that fruit of the Spirit will be grown within us. That's why this is called the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. Right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Um, because everything, all the fruit are connected. It's all just how the tree is planted by flowing streams of water, and in its season it flowers and does not wither. Right? Psalm 1. Um, So, remember that patience is active. It's an active remembering, an active steadfastness, an active choosing to remember what God has done, and then acting in that manner. Okay, so let me ask you this. We're going to wrap up in five minutes. But how, where are you most challenged in your patience? Where are you most challenged in your patience? Is it your job? Is it with your children? Is it with your spouses? Is it with your friends? Maybe it's with your church. Uh, all of those things have no, nothing to do with you having patience or not. And so it has everything to do with who you are in Christ, what Christ has done for you, and the God who has saved you. Understand? Okay. So with that, hopefully you understand a little bit more about love, joy, peace, and patience. Next week and the week after, my brother, uh, physical and spiritual brother, Jared, um, is going to, uh, going to be leading you guys for the next two weeks. I'm going to be on vacation uh, in North Carolina, so pray that we have good travels and no crazy kid things happening on the way up and down and that would be great. Um, but uh, be praying for him. He's going to carry the rest of the, the fruit of the Spirit that we have not covered. So love, joy, peace, patience, what we've gone through. Um, he's going to finish it. And possibly the next week after that. We'll see. Because I preached the next week. I didn't realize that. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, are there any questions about these four fruits of the Spirit? Or four fruits of the Spirit? I just have a comment, I guess, on, on the... It, since trials are the things that I think hit us the hardest with all these, if you prepare for the trials before they come, mm-hmm. 
they are a lot easier. Yeah. So if you pray for God to prepare you and strengthen you in your joy and in your love for catastrophe that might strike, that makes that much easier for financial issues that might strike, for kids who are just not listening, for a job that's just draining the life out of you. It just makes it a heck of a lot easier to go through it. Whereas if you just fumble into a trial and you've never asked God to help you be able to endure through it, it's just running into a wall with no support. And you're going to lose. Yeah. So prepare for the trials. I mean, I think that's why God gave us a lot of the letters that he gave us and the epistles and whatnot to help us prepare. And if we take it seriously and we do prepare for those trials ahead of time, it, again, it just makes life easier. Yeah. He's given us a community of people who have already done what we're about to go through. To yes. go yeah. And, and that's so, that's, that's why you need to be connected to a church. That's why you need to be uh, connected to a community of faith. It's, it's not so much so that you can receive some other benefits that are outside of uh, of like the biblical realm, but um, how do you expect to um, be encouraged automatically unless you're connected to that community of faith? The community is focused on the God who is like Himself, right? And so it's hard to become. It's hard to become a. Um, I like to say there's no Lone Ranger Christians out there. There are no um, onesies and twosies Christians either. So. It is the whole community of faith because we are all connected to the body of Christ um, and there's a local expression of it in the church itself that when we come together, that's the, that's the point, is to encourage, edify, um, evangelize one another, to remind each other of the gospel. These are, these are why we gather on a Sunday. Right? It's not to render to God some service that gets us justified. It's that we are able to come together and remind each other, hey, God is who he says he is. Christ is worth it. He is satisfying. He is complete. And we need to focus on him and him alone. With that, let's pray and we'll be done. Father, you have been good to us to give us these, this wonderful text in Galatians 5, your Apostle Paul, and hand it through your church. We, just, we are so gracious, or so grateful rather, that you have been so gracious to give us an understanding of who you are and who we should be in light of you. Lord, and we pray that um, the, the fruit of the Spirit would just continue to grow in our lives, that we would continue to see you work in and out of season, in the midst of trials, outside of trials, that we might be able to focus on who you are, what you've done, your Son and your Spirit. Lord, those are um, the eternal things as we um, go through this life. Go through this life. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.